This reading is taken from 2 Corinthians 12, which you will find on page 1166. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard things, inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. For because of these passing things, <laughs> surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Hey Rachel, hello everybody, great to see you, my name is Jeremy, if we haven't already met, good to see you in London this bank holiday weekend, hope you're enjoying uh, a bit of a rest, and we're going to have a look at that part of 2 Corinthians together, do keep it open, it's on page 1166, 1166, and we're going to be looking at that together, I think it's a peculiarly important part of the Bible for us to think about um, as we come together as a church family. Before we, gonna, before we do that though, I'm going to pray, so let's pray together, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've already sung this afternoon that your grace is sufficient, that it's, it's, it's large enough and powerful enough to deal with all of our sinfulness, and that your grace is available to, to me, that I personally can know your undeserved kindness and mercy. And so I pray we would know the grace of, of the Lord Jesus Christ individually this afternoon. I pray it would meet us wherever we're at, and, and I pray, Father, you'd speak to us of your grace by your words until each one of us hears your voice speaking into our fears and our hopes and our expectations and our ambitions. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Uh, well, sometimes uh, when, when you reach middle age, uh, you can get a bit nostalgic. So, so I've heard. John, is that true? I think, yeah, I, th I think that's probably... Yeah, possibly. Yeah, we're just speculating. Yeah. And you can end up looking back at the past. Um, you can become a bit reflective. You know, that, that sort of um, time back in the 1980s when uh, had a long, hot summer 
every summer. You were listening to Depeche Mode on the record player. And, um, you know, everything was good. There's no such thing as mobile phones, no internet, no Twitter. I mean, just, I mean, just that in itself, you know, uh, can, can make you feel quite emotional. You ever had moments like that where you're feeling a bit sort of nostalgic? Good times, eh? Good times. And, and you can start looking back on your Christian life in the same way. I don't know how long you've been a Christian. You might just become a Christian last week. That's fantastic. You might have been a, a Christian for maybe a couple of decades, and, and you start to look back on your Christian life, and, and you might think back to some of those times that you felt really close to God, uh, when it seemed like God was just walking really close to you. Um, think of a Christian Union meeting. I think we went for a sunrise service, and we watched the sun come up um, on Easter morning, and um, we had a sort of time of singing together. We felt so close to each other. We felt like that Jesus was really with us. Perhaps you've had incredible times like that where you just felt suffused by the love of God. Have you ever felt like that? You have moments like that in your Christian life? Good times, yeah? Good times. But if you want to look back, says the Apostle Paul in, in 2 Corinthians, if you want to look back to the big moments, if you want to look back to the milestones, to the sort of turning points... Then Paul says, find, find the heartache, find the bitter suffering, just latch on to the hurt and the humiliation that you might have been through, the times that you genuinely thought that you weren't going to be able to carry on. Have you had times like that too? I really have. Bad times. Paul says, think about those. Because in, in those moments, as far as we turn to God, then... then then Paul says the power of Christ was resting on us in those awful moments. One writer puts it like this. Quite surprising. It takes quite a lot of, uh, quite a lot of thinking about it, I think, to get your head around this. Our greatest breakthrough to spiritual power will come through the worst experiences of our lives. How do you feel about that? Uh, it's a bit challenging, isn't it? Our greatest breakthrough to spiritual power will come through the worst experiences of our lives. And that's what Paul's going to teach us through 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 10. It's on page 166, if you've let it close. And you, you might know that um, Paul's writing to a church that he helped to found. Um, he helped to plant this church a few years earlier in Corinth in, in Greece. But we'd be finding out that some new leaders have, have come to town. They've turned up on a, on, on a Sunday morning, and they've started taking over. And Paul has a nickname uh, in, a, in chapter 11, verse 5, for these guys. He calls them the super apostles. Uh, that's his nickname. They're sort of glitzy, successful, impressive. They're smooth talking. They've got the shiny suit. Um, and, and they're winning the congregation. And, and so for the sake of the church, Paul feels he's, he's got to sort of outmaneuver them. And that's why he's been boasting in chapters 10 and 11. Um, I, I was in, at, at an event last week. Um, you might see it up on the screen. I was given a day um, by my sister. I was given a day racing fast cars around, uh, around a racetrack. Uh, it, was, it was quite a lot of fun. Um, and uh, one of the things they offered, uh, not that I actually did this, but they, it, it was on offer, it was a police chase. Okay, you can see it's, it's, it sounds quite fun, doesn't it? 
Can you imagine? So um, they give you a fast car. I think it's the Porsche Boxstrap there. Is that right? Yep. Um, they give you a fast car, and you set off around the track, and then they pursue you in this police car with the sirens blaring and all the lights flashing. And, and basically what they have to do in the space of 10 laps or something is, is to get past you in order to then bring you over to the side. Okay, and you've got to try and defend your position. I mean, how much fun is that? I really want to go back and have, and have a go. But you see, Paul's doing something a little bit similar to that police car. He's, he's outmaneuvering the super apostles in order to bring them under control. And that's why he's talking about his credentials. Not because he wants to big himself up, but to show that he could be boasting about all these things, but he's chosen not to, because actually there's something much more important. He's so reluctant. Can you see that? Um, chapter 11, verse 18. He's so reluctant to boast. He doesn't, he doesn't want to. Um, chapter 11, verse 18. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. He's, he's so reluctant, but he has to go beyond them in order to bring them under control. And so he said um, back in chapter 11, if you were here last week, uh, last week he said, I've got a list of credentials as long as my arm. Um, if, if you're interested... Um, chapter 11 verse 22 are they Hebrews so am I are they Israelites so am I are they Abraham's descendants so am I are they servants of Christ I'm out of my mind to talk like this I am more he can, he can go beyond them he, he, he outmaneuvers them but then he brings them under control by talking about his suffering you remember he has this list of going to prison and people smash him up and he gets shipwrecked in verse 25 and then in chapter 12, he's saying, Look, I, I've had better visions and revelations than, than the super apostles. Chapter 12, verse 1, I, I must go on boasting, although there's nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. But then he brings them under control by talking about the thorn in his flesh, um, this sort of suffering that he's been going through. And you know, all of us at Trinity are involved in, in ministry in some way or another, if, if we're Christian people. Um, we're, we're, we're ministers. We're not spectators, we're servants. That's why we're here at church. We're here to serve. And Paul wants us to know that as ministers, not identical to the Apostle Paul, but sort of in the same, the same vein, that the power comes through the pain that we suffer and the tears that we cry. If we're ministers of Jesus Christ, the power comes through the pain that we suffer and the tears that we cry. Have a look then at, at verses 1 to 6. Chapter 12, verses 1 to 6. This is how we're summarizing it. Boasting about experiences, that's the way to gain nothing. Boasting about experiences is the way to gain nothing. You see, Paul, um, Paul's had religious experiences, but he doesn't count them as his sort of high and holy moment in his life. Um, have a look at what Paul says in chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, Paul's doing some expectations management. Okay, It's quite an important skill if you're, um, if you're a young parent. Some expectations management uh, for your children. Um, you know, we're, we're going to London Zoo, kids. Um, but the, but the monkeys might be hiding away in their, in their little house. And um, 
think the player is being refurbished and, and the cafe's closed because of staff shortages. It's just important to get that in before you go so that you don't sort of cause a huge amount of disappointment. And, and Paul does some expectations management in chapter 12, verse 1. Because he's going to go on and talk about visions and expectations, uh, visions and um, revelations, sorry. But he says up front, there's nothing to be gained. Uh, he's going to talk about some experiences he had. But by the time that he comes around to describing them, he's hoping you won't be interested in listening in if he's done his work. So listen to Paul's um, necessary but ultimately pointless testimony. That comes in, uh, in the beginning of chapter 12. Have a look at verse 2. This is what Paul writes. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man, uh, whether in the body or apart from the body, I, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. There you are, that's all he says. It wouldn't really make a chapter in a, um, in a top Christian biography in some sort of bestseller. Doesn't sound like the life of one of these sort of Christians that you read about. I find them so dispiriting, to be honest. You know, Christians who just sort of swan from one triumph to another. Um, it can really get you down, I find. Verse 2, Paul says, I know a man in Christ. Now, he's, he's talking about himself, so it transpires um, a couple of verses later. But he's so keen to avoid boasting, he just brings it down to earth as much as he possibly can. So he says, I'm, I'm, I'm not like one of these super apostles, I'm just an ordinary Christian bloke. You know, I'm, I'm just a man in Christ. Nothing more than that, really. Some Christian I once met. And he says it took place 14 years ago. Why is he telling that? 14 years ago. He's sort of saying, well, um, I haven't got a story from last year or last month or last week or, or yesterday, like some people do. Um, and in fact, 14 years was before he even planted the church in Corinth. He spent one and a half years there, and he sort of forgot to mention it, it seems, while he was with them. And then he's caught up to the third heaven. That just means really the highest heaven. It means he went straight into God's presence. But then he says nothing more about it. Um, you know, we might want to know what happened. He doesn't really describe it particularly, even if we wanted to know. So we might say to Paul, okay, Paul, well, was it like a physical experience or was it just a vision? Uh, you, you know, were you in the body or were you out of the body, Paul? Um, how does that work? Uh, and he says, um, well, God knows the answer to that one. In other words, it probably doesn't matter. Um, and then, um, what did you find out, Paul? Uh, what did you see when you were there? It sounds incredible. Paul says, inexpressible things that can't be spoken about. Oh, okay. Um, and then in verse 6, have a look down there. Paul sort of sets out his boasting policy. You have to have a policy for everything nowadays, don't you? And probably a risk assessment. But um, Paul sets out his boasting policy in verse 6. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations 
plural. He's had more than one. He doesn't mention the others. He says, um, there's nothing wrong with talking about Christian experiences. If you've really had them, there's nothing wrong with talking about them. But Paul's going to stay away from that kind of thing. Because he's a Christian leader who's learnt what too few Christian leaders have learnt over the years. You don't want anyone to think more highly of you than you actually deserve. It's an important thing to learn, isn't it? Not to want anyone to think more highly of you than you actually deserve to be thought of. Um, I mean, that's the opposite of the exam hall, isn't it? Um, in, in, in my experience. Um, in exams, you always want the examiner to think that you know more than you actually do. I mean, that's, that's sort of what's got me through. Um, the various exams that I've sat, I remember one summer, I sat down with a friend, she's about to go in and, and take an exam, and, and, and this friend prayed for me before I went in, um, please can the examiners get a fair account of how much Jeremy knows? And I thought, no, please don't pray that. That would be a complete disaster. Um, but, but Paul's the opposite, you see. He, he doesn't want anyone to think of him more highly than he deserves. Because he knows that boasting is, is the way to nothing, really. That's why we want to be so careful. You know, uh, we, can, we can get this wrong in, in two ways. Either we can just dismiss Christian experiences as if they don't matter at all. Um, you know, there may have been times when we felt God being really close to us. Uh, or an incredible unity with the Christians we're with. And, um, in many Muslim countries then, um, particularly around Ramadan, um, people have dreams about Jesus. Um, someone was telling me just before the service, that's how they were converted from the Muslim faith. Amazing. And we're, we're not to dismiss those things. Those are incredible. Those are incredible experiences, but they're not worth boasting in. And, and on the other hand, you see, there's another mistake that we can make, which is to put too much on Christian experience, as if it makes us sort of special um, in some way. Pride's never far behind. That's the point that, that Paul's making. And pride kills the Christian. Be so careful. It's a greater danger. That's what Paul's going to go on and say. Pride is the greater danger. You know, there, there are no higher classes of Christian. Um, there's only... It's only one kind of Christian, that's the Christian that trusts in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. You know, there are no good Christians and bad Christians. There are only Christians who've been saved by Jesus. There's no higher assurance to be had outside of the Bible. You know, there's no extra validation that you can get out outside of the cross. And we, we need to be really careful of people who say, God told me this or God showed me this. Boasting in those things will get you nothing. That's what Paul wants us to know. We need to be really careful. And that's why I think Paul changes the subject in the second half of verse 7. And he talks about the thorn in the flesh. Ouch. That's our second and only other point this afternoon. Boasting about weaknesses. That's the way to God's strength. What did that writer say? Let me tell you again. Our greatest breakthrough to spiritual power will come through the worst experiences of our lives. Do you really believe that? And for Paul, that was his thorn in the flesh. Can you see that? 
second half of verse 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Literally beat me around the head. Now, what was that thorn in the flesh? I, I, I don't even know. Some physical or psychological illness or, or difficulty that he went through in, 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 in the long term. Where did it come from? Well, it, on the one hand, it, it came straight from the devil's horror show, didn't it? That's what he says. Um, messenger from Satan. And yet the implication was that it was given to him by, by God. See that? Verse 7 where it says, um, I was given a thorn in the flesh. You know, it's, 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 it's both a torment um, and it's a mercy. Suffering isn't evil, but, but God uses it. You know, Satan intends it for evil, but God uses it for good. So we're going to find out when we look at Joseph uh, just in a few weeks' time. And how did it feel? Well, it hurt. When I was working in casualty, um, there's some really cool equipment you can use. Um, all kinds of things that you sort of have, ac have access to uh, when the department's empty. Uh, things like the sort of ultrasound scanner. It's quite fun to, to sort of uh, to, to play with. But um, now things for cutting wedding rings off swollen fingers. You've got special machines for that. Things for getting objects out of toddlers' ears. You would not believe what toddlers push down their ears from time to time. And then you get these um, special flat tweezers. They're made specially for one purpose. And that's for, um, that's for getting splinters out from underneath your nail. Okay? So people come to casualty with a splinter under their nail. And there's a special pair of tweezers for that. They kept in a special drawer. Um, imagine, imagine if I saw a patient and they had a splinter under their fingernail and I refused to take it out. In fact, I said they'd have it forever. What do you think of that? Because Paul goes to the sort of divine casualty department with a, with a sort of spiritual splinter under his fingernail and three times God refuses to treat it. Verse 8, you see? And Paul seems to go to God and, and say, whatever his thorn is, this sort of splinter, the, whatever it is that's um, getting to him, Paul seems to say, Lord, I could do so much more for you if it wasn't for this thing. But God wants weakness to be integral to Paul's existence, and he wants the thorn to become Paul's new normal. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. Because Paul, when, when, he's, when he's praying to God, has, has two options in his head. Either to, to go on living with the thorn and be less useful to Jesus, or have the thorn taken away and then be more useful to Jesus. Um, but, but what God wants to show him is that there is a third option, which is to keep the thorn and then grab hold of God's all-sufficient grace and become more empowered than he's ever been before. Our greatest breakthrough to spiritual power will come through the worst experiences of our lives. Or as Jesus puts it, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in, in, in weakness. 
Christ's power, at the end of verse 9, rests on Paul. That's a rare word, which sort of means on the tent. Uh, and it, it calls to mind the way that God's glory rested on the tabernacle in the Old Testament. That God's presence came on the, came on the, the tent where God was said to, said to dwell. Or where he, he, he went with um, uh, God's people in the cloud and the pillar of fire. So it reminds you of verse 9, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And so Paul, he, well, he's not a masochist. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't put thorns in himself. Um, but he learns not to conceal his weaknesses because he's, he's not threatened by them. He, he knows that like Jesus on the cross, you know, can you imagine what Jesus suffered on the cross. We're going to think of that as we take the Lord's Supper together. Like Jesus on the cross, he can find power in, in, in weakness. He can find progress in setbacks and purpose in his pain. Um, he knows that. And how can the world defeat someone like that? But we do need to let it humble us. Um, Dawn read a report yesterday in, in the paper about Boris Becker. She pointed it out to me. You know, Boris Becker, he was a, a world number one tennis player. Um, someone, obviously, the youngest person at the time to win Wimbledon, something like that. I think that's right. Uh, and he's now been put into prison for um, financial irregularities. And the judge said something interesting at his sentencing. Um, uh, she said this. She said, while I accept your humiliation as part of the proceedings, I've seen no humility. It's an interesting comment, isn't it? While I accept your humiliation as part of the proceedings, I've seen no humility. And so when the pain comes, we want to let it humble ourselves rather than sort of smart at the indignity of, of, of the whole thing or become sort of resigned in a sort of stoic way. Quite good at doing that sometimes. You know, if, if, if we want to be ministers of Christ, there'll be times of real deep discomfort. And um, we don't need to go looking for it. It's, it's, it's going to come. And you think to yourself, and I know because I've thought this myself. I genuinely have. I think this just can't be right. Something's gone wrong. I shouldn't, this is all wrong. There's been a, there's been a massive problem. I shouldn't be feeling like this. So exhausted, defeated, discouraged, and frustrated. Um, there's been a mistake. You know, I'm, just, I'm just a complete idiot for getting involved in all this. Uh, it's just tearing strips off me. I'm not going to survive. But we have to let it humble us. Yeah? We're all, we're all God's ministers in, in one way or another. And God has three big purposes for his ministers. Okay? Humility humility and humility that's his plan a proud minister is a desperate thing and they can do great damage and so God prioritizes our humility over our comfort he has the right to do that um, A.J. Tozer was a Christian writer and he said this again really challenging he, he said it is doubtful whether God can bless someone greatly 
until he has hurt them deeply. Psalms 9. Because it's, because it's then, you know, and, and Nathan was saying this last week, if you're around, it's then that the sort of light of the gospel shines out through the torn paper bag. Yeah? And some people can see Jesus through us because there's so many holes in us. So if you want one phrase to take with you into the week, then take those three words from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. For Christ's sake. Can you do that? For Christ's sake. We, we, we have to be able to talk about our weaknesses. So let go of this perfectly manicured exterior that we sort of turn up to church wearing. To, to be able to talk about where we need, uh, what we need, what we fear, where we fail, and how we suffer. We need to be able to talk about those things. But, that, but to consider it worth it for the sake of Christ. For the sake of Christ, for Christ's sake. Consider it worthwhile. So when things happen to us this week um, that hurt us, as they probably will, when challenges come for us as a church, as I'm sure they will, we need to be able to say, for the sake of Christ, it's worth it. Now, there's a friend of mine called Andy. He's a, you know, he's a, he's a Christian, and he's gradually losing his eyesight. He's the same age as me. He just wants to be able to read his Bible, yeah? And there's a friend of Nathan's called uh, Connie, if you remember. Um, she visited us here at Trinity. She's battled with depression for most of her life. She just wants to be able to feel God close to her. And there's a guy called Mike Kane, you might know, amazing preacher um, down in Bristol. Um, he's, um, he's dying from cancer. He just wants some more time with his family. And then I, the people here who's just struggling in all kinds of ways you know, with mental health challenges or with unemployment or just with the money, you know, feeling lonely. But it's worth it for the sake of Christ. That's the phrase we take with us into the week. You know, if, if, if we're living for the sake of Christ, then we'll be more concerned to display Christ than to save face, Yeah. We'll be more concerned to live dangerously than to live comfortably. You agree? And we'll find humility. And that is the path that, that Jesus trod. We're going to be thinking about his death in just a few minutes' time as we take the bread and the wine together. Humility is we come to him and say, I've, I've got nothing in my hands. Um, I've, I've got nothing to give you. I'm, I'm just going to receive what you bought for me by dying in, in my place. Humility, that's the path that Jesus trod. And that's the path as Christians that will get us home to be with him forever by his mercy. Should we pray? Thank you for um, reminding us that a, that a conceited and, and proud minister is the most dangerous thing. Um, and so uh, you bring discomfort into our lives uh, to remind us 
our weakness, and that is your mercy, your deep mercy. And uh, it, it enables us to rely on you. And I, and I pray, Father, um, for some of the difficulties that are going to come up this week uh, for us individually, uh, some of the difficulties that may well be on the way for us as a church, um, some of those um, sort of wounds that we're going to take with us through the rest of our lives, um, take with us to the grave maybe, uh, that we can say that it's worth it for the sake of Christ, that we would want nothing more than to be dependent on him. Uh, please, Father, sort of torn and broken as we are, uh, can the light of his power, the light of his gospel shine out through us most strongly. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. go straight on and take the Lord's Supper together. Um, you'll see some cups uh, of uh, containing bread and wine just in front of you. Um, do make sure that, you, that you've got access to um, some of those. Do wander around. If, if you can't see any in front of you, just um, wander around and grab some now. And if you'd rather have uh, wine without alcohol in it, then there's some just on the table, on the corner of the table, just at the back there. Um, if you'd rather have that, do go and, go and grab it from there. It's time we're going to pray some prayers together, um, and then we're going to take the bread and the wine together. Um, it's just ordinary wine from Tesco's and bread from the corner shop. Uh, nothing special about that. But as we take the bread and the wine together, then there is something important, and that's that we're saying that we're trusting in the Lord Jesus for ourselves. If 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 you're someone from any denominational background and and you're trusting in Jesus, please, please do join us uh, in taking the bread and the wine. If, 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 if you're not yet a Christian, then um, this isn't something for you at the moment. But if you wanted to start trusting Jesus today, it would be a great time to take the bread and the wine for the very first time as a new believer. If you want to find out some more about that, do get in touch. We're doing it as a sign of faith in God, a sign that we belong together and we want to proclaim Jesus. That's why we're taking the bread and the wine together. And it's an opportunity for us to renew our trust in what Jesus did for us at the cross. We've got some uh, words that are going to come up on the screen. Uh, first of all, some words that begin, most merciful God. We're going to pray those together and then there's some words I'm going to pray and then there'll be some more words to say together. Let's begin though with that first prayer, beginning most merciful God. Let's pray together. Most merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we confess that we have sinned in thought, word and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbours as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been Help us to amend what we are and direct what we shall be, that we may do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you, our God. Amen. All glory be to you, our Heavenly Father, who in your tender mercy gave your only Son, our Saviour Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption. 
who made there by his one oblation of himself once offered a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice, oblation, and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. He instituted and in his holy gospel commanded us to continue a perpetual memory of his precious death until he comes again. Your son, in the same night that he was betrayed, took bread and gave you thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and gave you thanks. He gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So as the one who comes to the Lord with the weakness and enjoys his strength draw near with faith receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ which he gave for you and his blood which he shed for you eat and drink in remembrance that he died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving I'm proud to pray together we do not presume to come to this your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord whose nature is always to have mercy. Grant us therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body, and our souls washed through his most precious blood, and that we may evermore dwell in him, and he in us. Amen.